0: Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open up our Bibles to the book of Exodus, and today is a true blessing, you being at worship. Today begins a new sermon series. And um, the past, last month, we had a focus, as Beecher uh, certainly highlighted so well, on prayer. And we've been going through that, and we're still in our uh, time of prayer at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings uh, going on through the rest of this month. But we're starting this new series here, and it's going to be called In Between. And I want to explain, give you background information on it. I'm very excited about it because I think it's going to be a message that speaks to all of us. And it's a message about times, what we might call transition, times of you're with somewhat of uncertainty. For example, it might be a time where you've maybe lost a loved one, a spouse you've been married to for decades, is now in the presence of Jesus, and all of a sudden you've become a widow or a widower. You're in a new season of your life. It might be a job, a job change. All of a sudden you've worked the same company for many years and something happened and now you're changing jobs or you're looking for a job. In many ways, I would say if you're a college student, this whole season applies to you. Your whole life you grew up in mom and dad's house and now all of a sudden you're in a new place and things are just different. We live in a college city here, but you're, you're training to have some career, some job in some other field, but you're not really there yet. In between is when the Israelites, we're going to see these next six weeks, when they left Egypt, they had been in Egypt over four. 400 years in slavery. And then they thought, if you were just going to make a journey up into the promised land, which is Israel, that might only be a one or two week walk. Well, that one or two week walk up from Egypt to Israel turned into 40 years. So before, they knew they were going to the promised land. But for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. And that's the in-between time for us. And you think about it. I mean, think about the context of probably this group right here. One of the amazing things about our church is how few people actually grew up in this church. So I only can ask this question once the children's church is left. Because, well, children might raise their hand. Who here grew up in this church? Like this is your home church. One, two, two. Two people on this surface. So that's right, we give them applause for those two people. Do you see how few that is? So when we think of our home church, mine's in Alabama. And wherever yours is at, I mean, your your home church is the church you grew up in, came through the children and youth ministry in. That's where you grew up going to all the different events and, and, and learning about the Lord as a young child. And you see how, in many ways, your time at Broadway Baptist is almost an in-between time because you know this isn't my really home church. In fact, for some of you, Lexington, you might not even want to live in the city. You're just here for whatever reason. And you look at this season of your life Is you don't want to just say you're in the wilderness. But it's not where you came from, and it's not really where you want to go. You're, you're, you plan on all of us want to go to heaven. And many of you might dream of retiring to Florida, somewhere like that. So you're in this period of just, you're just in between. You're not there, and you're not there. And that's what we're about to see the next six weeks. And we're going to look at different events that happened with the Israelites, how they went through this transition and how they dealt with it. But um, I want to share, before, um, before we read this passage, I want to illustrate this by the most dangerous body of water on earth. All right, I have a map for our sound guys to put up there. Who here has ever cruised? You can now take a cruise to Antarctica. Anybody cruised to Antarctica? More people have grew up in our church than cruised to Antarctica. You can actually now take a cruise to Antarctica. I don't know if you want to cruise to Antarctica, but you can if you felt like it. This here is at the bottom of the earth right here. That is Antarctica at the bo- bottom and those, that, that is South America there at the top of that picture. You see Chile's on the left and uh, Argentina's on the right. That's uh, the very southern tip of South America. Well, 600 miles separates South America from Antarctica. And that's where, that's the closest place from, uh, if you're going to go to a land, from a landmass to Antarctica. So naturally, cruise ships go right there because it's not that long. But there's a problem with that area. That's called the Drake Passage. That area on that map is where the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Antarctic Ocean. I think that got re- renamed the Southern Sea, Southern Ocean now. I think that's the new name of it. It's now the Southern Ocean down there. Uh, that's where the penguins live, down, down the Southern Ocean. Well, what it is, is that is a very dangerous body of water. The waves are phenomenally big. For whatever reason, it's really windy down in that area, and there's just a lot of uh, dangerous navigation. And people who sell ships say that's the most dangerous place on earth. It's so dangerous in Argentina, there in the southern point, they actually have a monument to 10,000 sailors over the years that have died trying to go through through the Drake Passage. What's interesting about the Drake Passage is if you were on the southern tip of Chile and you're just out that, down there and you're looking at looking at the land or looking at the sea, it would just be like any other normal sea. You're there on the beach and you're looking, and that doesn't look that dangerous. You, just, you know, It's only 600 miles. You just take your boat and go on down there, and next thing you know, you're in Antarctica. Um, and But what happens is after you've gone about 40 or 50 miles, you're in the middle of this passage down there the waves are huge. They're all 50 foot, 60 foot waves. And it's, if your boat isn't, if you're not a good sailor and you don't have a boat that can handle that, you will go under the water and you will capsize and there's not a lot of rescue options down in that area. So that's why so many people die and the seas are the roughest place on earth in that little passage. And what happens is uh, sailors actually have to make sure that, they, uh, that it gets so bad it's called the Drake Shake. When you're going down, if you hop and take one of those Antarctic tours, they warn you you're going to have the Drake Shake, meaning they get massive boats and you're going to be rocking the whole way getting there. And they have to time the wind patterns, the best, best route to even get through there because it's so dangerous. And a lot of times what happens for us, we're standing there on Chile, at Chile looking at the sea, and we think, you know what, those seem like calm waters. And you start getting out in the waters, and you're a few weeks in, you're 50 miles in, and all of a sudden there's a lot of rough seas. And you're too far in to look, turn around and go back, because you've got waters all around. That's what it means to be in between. You're stuck in the Drake Passage, and you're wondering, do I go forward, or do I go back? Like, I'm here. And it, we've, got, we've got these high winds all around. One of the reasons, I'm going to show you all here, before we read this passage in um, Exodus chapter 13, I'm, I'm, we don't need to turn there, but I want to highlight it to you because this is, uh, in many ways, what brought led up to this situation. One of the things we have to repent of, and we have to be very aware of, is the danger of memories in our life. A lot of times in our life, we have to ask God to heal us of our memories and say, Pastor, what on earth are you talking about? How did you say, how did the Israelites end up in Egypt? Well, there was a man named Joseph, and Joseph was the ultimate saver. You remember, his sons sold him into slavery as a young man. So he had had 11 brothers, and they sold him into slavery, and he found himself in Egypt. And through various events, with the Lord working, he was the prime minister of Egypt under Pharaoh. And he was a saver because God revealed to him in a dream that he needs to save during seven good years. And they saved lots of grain. Then came seven bad years. And because he had saved so well, he just gave out all his... He fed the whole world because he was so diligent with saving the food. Well, his family lived in Israel at that time. And the famine had hit Israel. So his father, Jacob, and his 11 brothers went down to Egypt And they didn't just go down there, they moved down there. And they didn't go just a year or two, they went and ended up staying 400 years. So they found themselves the Israelites in Egypt, which started out as a place of Joseph, because he had grain, and that one little trip ended up being 400 years, and then Pharaohs changed on you, and next thing you know, the Pharaohs put all those people, the Israelites, into slavery. So they found themselves as slaves. They originally re- went down there as refugees just getting some food and they found themselves years later as slaves. But what was amazing about that passage is what Joseph did. Remember, this man was healed of his memory. say, so what do you mean by that? His brothers sold him into slavery. Now, at the very end of the book of Genesis, I want you to look at this verse up here. It's Genesis 50:20. Right at the very end, When he's finally meeting his brothers again and they're coming to live in Egypt under his leadership, you would think, I mean, think about it. If someone sold you into slavery, you would want to uh, like say some words to them, you would want to say, What my entire life changed because of you. You have ruined who I am. Like I experienced years and decades of pain from what you did. But that's not what Joseph said. He said, Joseph did, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result. And the present result is they were supplying food for the whole world. The survival of many people. Instead of Joseph being bitter, instead of Joseph thinking about how sad it was that his brother sold them to the Midianites, slave traders, He forgave his brothers, and that memory was healed. And we're going to see in this passage we're about to read, a lot of our memories can be very sinful, they're very hurtful, and it can be things that have happened in our past that we, if we're not careful, we will want to go back to that, or we take those memories and we project them forward and try to hurt others. Joseph did not do that. He showed kindness to his brothers. He forgave his brothers. So he did something as an example we're about to read that the Israelites did not do. So you're in your Bible here. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13 verse 20. What just happened at this passage? Moses had gone ten times to Pharaoh. The ten plagues on Egypt. And finally, on the 10th plague, the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn son. Well, what happened? Pharaoh had a a son, oldest son, and he died in the middle of the night. God passed over, that's why we get the word Passover, passed over Egypt. And if you did not have blood on your doorframe and on your mantle, the Lord struck down the firstborn son. And that was directly towards Pharaoh's son plus all the other uh, all the other boys there, firstborn sons died. They, in the middle of the night, they wake up, all their baby boys are dead. And that didn't just apply to baby boys, I've grown men, firstborns were men, grown men were dead too. So all of a sudden, Pharaoh and the Egyptians that were alive drove the Israelites out of Egypt. All these Hebrew people, remember Hebrews and Israelites, that's interchangeable words, same people group, they pushed them out of Egypt, saying, We don't want you here anymore. But then all of a sudden, something's about to change. They're leaving Egypt, and they're heading over to Israel. They're going out to worship, because Pharaoh had a hard heart. So that's where we're going to pick up here. Look how God provides. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. They set out from Succoth, and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud, to lead them on their way during the day in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. Look what God did. They walked out of Egypt, and the Lord sent a cloud. So during the daytime, this is a pillar cloud, just like a, a, a stick, a, a large pillar. And they're following this cloud to where they need to go. And then at nighttime, the cloud turned into this pillar of fire. So it's a fireball. It's like a tornado. It's just on fire at night. That way it gave the Israelites comfort. So this pillar of fire and this pillar of a cloud, it remained with the Israelites from this verse the moment they left Egypt all the way to the book of Joshua when they would, 40 years later, go into the promised land. The Lord's presence was with them For 40 years in the wilderness. And that wilderness time is when we see here about in-between. About this in-between period. So what happens here is you would think if the Lord has just driven you out through Pharaoh. He would never release you. But now he's pushing you out of your country. You witness all these plagues on Egypt. And then now you've got a cloud Guiding you where exactly where to go, They just follow the cloud. It takes them where they need to go. That's their GPS navigation, where they need to head out to. They just follow the Lord. You would think the Israelites at this point would trust the Lord, but they don't. And that's what we're about to see here. Keep going in your Bibles. It says, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So it was always in front of the people, except for one time. We're going to see that one time is coming. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. So now God's going to tell Moses to do something. Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pithirath between Migdol and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal-Zion facing the sea. The sea there is the Red Sea. It's the same Red Sea we see in the news all the, all, all the time going today. So God is putting them right on the beach of the Red Sea, saying this exact spot is where they're going to stop and they're going to camp. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, they are wandering around in the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. God actually told Moses in advance, here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened, and they're going to come after you. But there's going to be a miracle so that everyone knows that I am the Lord. So God is telling Moses the end result. Like Moses is fully aware that there's about to be a problem on the horizon. And what's powerful about that passage in verse 4, we said, it says here that the Lord wanted to receive glory through means of Pharaoh. That means through Pharaoh at this time, this is the time where the Egyptian pyramids, you know, the seven wonders of the world, this is when they were built. They were built under Pharaoh's leadership. There are multiple Pharaohs. This was the time period they were built. This is 4,500 4, years ago, what we're talking about here. And these, this, this Pharaoh was a very hardened man. And in fact, the reason why God wanted to receive glory through Pharaoh is because of what originally happened with Moses. So if you go back, you don't need to turn there, it's actually in your bulletin here. If you look at Exodus 5:2, what occurred was God told Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, so that my people at this point originally, they weren't going to worship going to the worship, go leave forever for 40 years. They just wanted to go have a worship service in the wilderness, and they were going to come back. So let my people go in the wilderness, then they can come back and, and, uh, and, and worship. and They'll come back and be their, your slave. So when Pharaoh approached the very first time, or when Moses approached Pharaoh, Pharaoh said in Exodus 5-2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? Who is the Lord? Why should I obey Him? God's going to answer that question. And He does answer that question. Pharaoh asked a question about God that the answer eventually came, but it had to go through a lot of pain to get to that answer. And a lot of times for us, when we ask God questions, when we make arrogant statements like Pharaoh does, we will get an answer from the Lord. He will let us know who He is. And He certainly did that here with Pharaoh. So the whole The whole exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and the death of all the Egyptian army is answering this question. Who is the Lord that I should let him go? That I should let Israel go? God's going to show I am the Lord and I'm going to show you how. So that's where we're at right here. He's about to answer that question. Back in your Bible in Exodus chapter 14. So now God has told Moses... You're going to experience a lot, something's about to happen because your back's up against the wall. You're about to be up against the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptians. So this is when a, a period, for it, the first test for the Israelites. Follow along in your Bibles. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt, the king of Egypt is Pharaoh. When Pharaoh was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt, with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites, who were going out defiantly. Look at that word. They were going out defiantly. They were so proud. We're being driven out of this country. We were your slaves, but now you're getting rid of us. We're headed to the promised land. Now, in two verses, they're going to change. This defiant attitude, all of a sudden, and defiant attitude is what we're comfortable with. They, they were in control. They felt they were victorious. They had a big win behind, uh, under their belt, and all of a sudden, things are about to change says they're going out defiantly. Then in verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them at the camp at the sea at Pi-Hirath, in front of Baal-Zion. Zeon. is exactly where the Lord told Moses that they should camp, right there along the Red Sea. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, now look at the change of these defiant people who left Egypt. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up, and there are the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified. So all of a sudden, understand their situation. They've got a body of water on one side, and now they have the Egyptians with all their chariots and commanders. The whole army is coming, and they're worried. They said to Moses, now look at this. These are the defiant people who were so proud earlier. Look at the change. This is what the in-between is. They're truly in-between. You've got Egypt coming with their army. You've got a giant sea on the other side. What do we do? They said to Moses in verse 11, is, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What a sad statement by the Israelites. They had barely even gotten in the wilderness. They had barely got out of Egypt. And they were already complaining to God and to Moses Saying, we would have rather been slaves. Moses, we told you not to do this. And here we are about to be a mass grave. So look here what Moses told. Moses, remember, this is the same man just a few weeks earlier. He told God he couldn't do this because he couldn't speak. And he didn't have any confidence. And God has sent Aaron as his spokesman, his brother, But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. When you're in an in-between time, when God has you in a position or a place and you're wondering, what am I going to do? That is an opportunity for you, for I, to, to deepen our trust and our dependence on God. Maybe your whole life, you've been with one whole person and something happened and you're no longer with them. Now it's you and the Lord. Maybe your whole life, you've always had little kids in your house and now they've grown up and they've moved out and you're in an empty nest and you're like, God, this is different all of a sudden. Everything's changed. Your whole life, you've lived in one city and now you're in a new city and you don't know anyone. And the church is different. And our church is different. Everything you know is different. And you just say, it's not like it used to be. And that's what we see right here. These people actually want to go back to what they were used to. They would rather be slaves than trust the Lord. That is what we see in this passage. These people are begging Moses, Moses, I wish we would have stayed in Egypt. Why did you do this? And look what the Lord, look what Moses told them. They don't need to be afraid. When you're in an in-between time, you can't resolve the fear and just become this fearful person. It allows you, in times of transition and uncertainty, God puts us that so that we can deepen and strengthen our relationship and our trust on God. That's what we see here. Now, the Israelites didn't really do that in their 40 years. You can, you and I can do that. During times of change, it's your time to run to the Lord. And it says here, the Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Saying the Lord is the one, we don't fight our battles. We, the, we allow the Lord to fight for us. He goes before us. So look what the Lord says here. Last few verses. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. This is really The main point of what God is about to do. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? So the people are complaining. Moses is crying out to the Lord. And he he says, it's now time to take action. Tell the Israelites to break camp. To break camp means it's time to take the tents down, pick up our supplies, it's time to roll the sleeping bags up because we're about to move. We're we're taking apart the camp. We've been camping here, but now it's time to move break camp, for as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots and horsemen. Notice what God told, God is speaking here. He's saying, Moses, as for you, your job is you just lift up your staff. My job, I will change Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to change his heart in a way that so all of his army, this army that has been keeping you in bondage and making your life so difficult and that has been mocking the Lord, their life is about to come to an end. This army soon won't exist. So both Moses had a responsibility and God had a responsibility in this passage. It's talking about what each of them is going to do. And it goes on to say, verse 18, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So the glory is going to come through what God is going to do By parting the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to pass through the Red Sea. These are the same Israelites who were wishing just a few minutes earlier that they could go back to slavery and die in Egypt. They would rather be a slave than trust the Lord. Now, what God is about to do here is the only time we ever see for these 40 years there in the wilderness, they had this cloud in front of them. By night, it was a fireball, it was a a tornado. That was on fire, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. But the one time it changes is when all of a sudden, it was always in front of them because they would just follow this cloud. That was how they found themselves or what to do. The moment they went into the promised land, the cloud, in the book of Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan River, it went away. It was no longer there because they arrived. But at this point, the cloud is about to move. It's going to move around. At this point, the cloud's over the Red Sea because that's where they're supposed to be going next. And Moses is obviously confused because they don't have any boats and they're not going to swim across the Red Sea. So the cloud is going to come around and lay a block, basically block the Israelites from the Egyptians. And they can't pass through. It's just going to be, it's like Kentucky's big blue wall back on their, uh, on their offensive line, back when it was really good. It was just, they just were a big wall to protect the quarterback and create uh, running lanes for the running back. And that is what we're about to see the Lord do right here. You see how God is guiding even people who are complaining, who are fearful, who, who wanted to work, serve the Egyptians instead of the Lord, God is still taking care of his people. So even in our times, of our in-between in our life, when we're in times, seasons of doubt or seasons of change, our only, our only hope is to trust the Lord. And the Israelites are following Moses' leadership and following the cloud. It says in verse 19, last two verses here, Then the angel of God, who is going in front of them, of the Israelite forces, the angel of God is the cloud, the Lord, He moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. So it's now blocking. So we say, Pastor, what do we have going on here? Understand the Israelites. These people are on the beach of the Red Sea. They've got a Red Sea right here and they've got a cloud that's blocking the the, the, uh, Egyptians who are approaching right here. And then what's going to happen is God is going to start parting the Red Sea and there's a wall, a sea walls, about to be built up so the Israelites can walk through on dry ground through the sea. I mean, you can imagine Moses and these guys are walking, they're looking, they're looking at fish along a wall right next to them. You know, probably hundreds of feet. And they're, they're, they're down the seabed and there's a wall of sea and they're just passing through. And the Lord is allowing that. And the last verse we're going to see today. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night because it's a fireball. This is a giant fireball cloud. And neither group came near each other all night long. what was going on. God was blocking the Egyptians so he could build the wall up. Moving the water so they could start getting ready to pass through. Could you imagine the Israelites? They, that, that morning they were complaining, will to we'll go back to Egypt. Now they've got a fireball on one side and the, the sea walls being built on the other side. And they're just standing there. Do you see the provision the Lord has made for them? And what happened? These same people, literally, you go up in your Bible verse, and it says, in verse 12, "Isn't this what we told you in Egypt?" Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians. The same people who are now thinking, Wow, look at what the Lord is doing. Just eight verses earlier, we're begging, Moses, Moses, we don't want to go. We want to serve the Egyptians in slavery. And a lot of times for us, when we live in the past, when, when, we haven't, when, we, when we're in times of change, It's tempting because we haven't arrived to our future. We know it's hard to always imagine a future because we haven't been there. We know eventually we're going, especially if we're saved, we're going to heaven. But we're comfortable with the past because we're used to it. We've lived through it. We know what to expect. And a lot of times for us, we want to go back to the past. And that's not where they need to be. And for us... You don't need to be in that place. There's people you don't need to be friends with. There's relationships you don't need to be in. There's people you don't need to talk to in your past. And what we see here, the Lord, He is showing them, preparing them a future. But the in-between time, these people, because their memories, they had memories that were sinful. They weren't like Joseph and extended forgiveness. They didn't recognize God is working and doing a new thing. I need to trust the Lord in this situation. So what we see in this passage, and how it applies for us, if you feel like you are in this in-between time, some point in your life, you're in a season of change, this is God speaking to you, saying, God, I don't want to go back to how it used to be. I'm, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. Forever happened. I'm not going to go dwell or think about that. Those days of Egypt were slavery. Those days of Egypt were pain. All we did is sit around making bricks without clay. It was hard. It was difficult. But you've got something new planned—the promised land—and that's where the Lord was trying to redirect. They, I mean, He's paving the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea on dry ground for them to go to, and yet they're thinking about yesteryear. So our prayer and what we ask, say, Lord, I don't want to be someone like the Israelites and dream about how great it was in Egypt because it's not great in Egypt. We need to ask God, if you have memories that are haunting you, that are are bringing you back to sin, you need to ask the Lord to heal you of those memories. Maybe it's people who've said and done certain, uh, hurt us and done certain things. We just have to forgive them. Joseph is our example. He forgave his brothers. And that happened decades ago. Decades ago. He didn't allow. The brothers remembered it. They were scared to death of him. But Joseph had for extended forgiveness. And he didn't want to go back to those days. He was moving forward. So for us today, our first step in trusting the Lord, if you're in an in-between season of change, if you're a college student, if you're in this period of just transition in your life, You need to say, God, I can't go back because we can't bring the past back and I haven't arrived to the future. Lord, where I'm at today, at this place, at this church, Lord, I'm going to trust you and live for you. I want to see your miracle. I want to see what you're going to do. I want to follow your cloud that guides. I'm going to invite our band. Beecher, why don't you come on up here? We're going to have our invitation. We close our worship services with an invitation to get saved. And your first step to following Jesus is giving your life to Jesus. And how we do that, I stand down front with Zach Bauer, our youth pastor. And if you want to, if you're, you're, God, it's no accident God has brought you here. God has parted the Red Sea for the very purpose for you being here. And when you don't follow the Lord, what you're doing is saying, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going to live for how I used to live. It's, we're here with a purpose, with a purpose with a meaning of trusting in Jesus as our Savior. So we're going to stand together. And I'm going to stand down front. If you want to get saved this morning, this is also the time you can join our church. But joining a church and getting saved are two different things. Getting saved is the most important thing. Making your church home is for you to raise your family and say, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm tired of being in the wilderness. I'm tired of living in between. I'm going to make a decision today. So if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, Zach and I stand out front. You respond while we sing.